Nothing discussed with Kathleen Merriam in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another edition of From Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and if you've been watching for any length of time, you know that this series is a project of Kahimohala and also our good friends at Brain Gain Hawaii and the Leong family, Evan Leong and Coco Leong, who is also our fabulous engineer for all of these conversations. So here we are, we're coming into the second half of September and we're watching what's been happening on our island of Oahu, what's been happening throughout the state as we are dealing still with a, a modified lockdown. Uh, things are changing, they are continuing to change but one of the things that we have been watching throughout this series has been what's been happening when it comes to suicide. And this is Suicide Prevention Month. So we wanted to take another look at what is happening in our states. And to do that, we're welcoming Kathleen Merriam. She is the uh, mental health supervisor of the Windward Oahu Mental Health Center, Community Center. And we're glad to have her with us today. She's very active within our community of mental health and generally active within our community with Rotary and other organizations and is deeply involved with suicide prevention. So Kathleen, it's good to see you. Oh, you too, Beth Ann. Thank you so much for having me. And I really want to thank you and the whole uh, team that's involved with putting this production on. It's really an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for making the time as we're having these sort of living room to living room conversations going through the pandemic that we started uh, months and months and months ago, uh, but watching what happened in the springtime when we had the four suicides on Kauai within a week really was a, a lightning rod for a lot of people about what could happen within this pandemic beyond some of the issues that we were already considering. And here we are now, the middle of September, and I'm wondering what it is that you've been seeing since you've been there on the ground with so many people that have come into the, into the mental health center and uh, Windward Oahu, that is this something that you're seeing accelerate? Uh, are some of the statistics changing and not for the better? Uh, you know, knowing that we see a suicide every few days in our state. I mean, these things are, are, are really deeply upsetting, and yet they seem not to be getting a lot of the focus as we're moving through the pandemic. So I'm really curious what it is that you've been seeing since the springtime through now. Thank you, Beth Ann. Well, you know, suicide has never really been a big topic uh, that we end up hearing about in our social media forums or platforms or even our discussions in the community. And I hope we uh, continue to talk more about this. Having a month dedicated to suicide prevention and awareness is a good step, but we probably need to kind of ramp up with our conversations that are available to the community, uh, not just mental health professionals. Interestingly enough, mental health professionals don't necessarily have, necessarily have a lot of training, even psychiatrists, um, in their training programs about suicide prevention and awareness. So, and it's generally the kind of general lay person that might see the first cues of somebody having some symptoms or thoughts of suicide. So the more that we can actually bring this awareness and just basic training to community members, the better. So I have definitely seen since March uh, more signs and symptoms and really people 
in general, just the community, not necessarily our clinic, um, experience thoughts of suicide. Um, basic depression and anxiety contributes and pretty much the idea that people have so many um, concerns about the unknown, all those things contribute to people feeling lonely and having thoughts of whether they want to continue. We do know that people that choose to die by suicide don't necessarily want to die. What they want to go away is the pain, the suffering. Um, so there is that time and thought process about ambivalence, that ambivalence of um, do I want to leave and die or do I want to stay and be here? That is really the time to intervene. And there, there are intervention techniques that we have to get out to people. Um, so I'm very, very grateful that you are spending time on this very important topic because it will really rip a community apart um, when somebody does choose to die by suicide. You know that from a very personal level, so do I. Uh, these are the things, as you say, that we don't talk very much about, but a lot of people may be curious as to why that isn't part of a mental health professional's training when it seems like that would be you know, one of the bedrocks. I mean, literally, that's, that's the end period full stop. And to know that there is that window of time in which an intervention can happen and to be looking for those signs, um, that seems to be a little bit curious that we don't give psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health professionals of, of all stripes more help with that in understanding how to see it and how to be able to create some sort of path forward so that someone goes toward life and, and not toward the end of it. Right. One of the things we've been rolling out uh, is, is called, it's called Suicide Prevention 101, if you can imagine. Now, of course, there's stigma around that too, right? Because people tend to think, well, wait a minute, I don't need 101. I'm much more advanced than that. I went to college or I went to, you know, a very um, nice school. And so I wouldn't need that. But funny enough, um, most people need kind of that 101 experience. And so we find that um, just going going through the clear signs, um, some of the symptoms, some of then what you, what you could say, uh, how you can listen more effectively to hear what people are really saying to you. Uh, and then just having a feeling of, I am armed with some resources. So if I do feel like somebody's saying, yes, I want to kill myself, I would know what to do. I would know who to call. So for example, um, not everybody even knows that uh, we have a 1-800, this is really catchy, it's 273-8255, that spells talk. So 1-800-273-TALK is actually a line that somebody can call and talk to anybody at any time about their thoughts of suicide. Uh, the first time I went through some very intense training about suicide prevention, we actually had to go around in a circle and ask the question, and I still get kind of a knot in my throat in asking this, it's not comfortable, most of us don't do this. But rather than saying, are you thinking of hurting yourself? Because remember, if I'm suicidal, I, I'm not thinking that's gonna hurt, I'm ready, I've been planning, I'm, I don't even think about it hurting, I'm thinking, yeah, that's, good. that's what I wanna do. 
It's the end of pain, not, not the bringing on of pain. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I'm not going to say, no, no. I might lie to you. Just say no. So the real question is, are you thinking of killing yourself? Now, as I say killing, it's, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. I'm worried about what they're going to say. <laughs> Am I prepared? So we have to get through that. We have to get through and work through our discomfort because what's really uncomfortable is when somebody dies. That's uncomfortable. That's painful for the rest of our lives. So it's worth going through training. It's worth learning more. It's worth feeling equipped. And so um, the real question is, are you thinking of killing yourself? Kathleen, there is this, oh, I'm gonna kill myself kind of conversation that people have very casually, where it's in the lexicon of, of how people speak sometimes when they're just angry or annoyed or um, not really thinking about it. I can't imagine that that's been terribly helpful in the way we're trying to disentangle just those feelings of upset over a particular day or anger or uh, you know, concern over how we move forward with something, but not really looking at suicide. And those who are really deeply contemplating suicide, how do we need to get this out more into the public sphere, not just through the 101 that might be for those who are in the mental health field, but generally speaking that, you know, we don't need to be saying things like, oh, I just wanted to kill myself. I mean, those kinds of things which are, are not helpful and tend to, uh, you know, water down, dilute the real meaning of what suicide is and what it does to everybody left behind. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really put it in two columns of the people that are really serious and then the people that kind of say, oh, I, um, I think I want to kill myself. Uh, we want to take every, every single gesture or sign or comment very, very seriously. Uh, are there some people that maybe make these gestures more frequently? And one might say, hmm, I'm not sure if that's really a serious attempt. Uh, we don't want to judge that. We want to take every comment and, uh, again, gesture or thought very seriously. So even if they're being flippant about it, that it would be a good idea for us to stop and say, is that really what you mean? Do you Absolutely. really want to kill yourself yeah. and make stop. them stop in that moment mm -hmm. and, and realize the words that have come out of their mouth? Yep. Stop and have the conversation. Yes. Yes. I didn't plan on becoming um, kind of a crusader about suicide prevention. Um, this wasn't really, you know, I've been a mental health professional for over 35 years. I kind of do my thing. My, my, favorite group is people with severe mental illness, people that are like coming out of the state hospital, helping them integrate into the community. Um, I love it. I love my work. Um, so kind of the general public or, or people that maybe occasionally see a professional, um, that's not really my um, main group. Uh, but I became involved in suicide prevention because I lost my brother and um, he died by suicide. On the 13th, it was 15 years ago. Now what's interesting is sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. So it's a kind of loss that I just, I don't want anybody else to feel. And so um, other people handle that loss by, you know, maybe never talking about it again or really um, hiding it. But um, 
I have really found it to be very healing to meet other survivors of this kind of loss and to try to provide training and, um, you know, push, push the envelope about uh, why can't we do more and, and let's try to get um, education out there. As you are pushing that envelope outward, how are you finding this resonating with people of various different generations in, in not only looking at talking about suicides that may have happened because we know that, you know, kids very often can't see beyond next Tuesday, much less that right. something could get better, you know, six months from now or, or six years from now. And so in taking that very final step, they lose any ability to make anything better. And so we've seen a lot of kids nationally who have taken the step of suicide and here in Hawaii too, kids who are, you know, in the single digits, seven, eight, nine years old, who have seen that that is the only way out for them or they believe that such and have then been found by a younger sibling or another sibling, which has made a scar on them for life too. But how is this resonating with people of different generations and how are you approaching them perhaps differently to be able to talk about suicide? That is a great question and a good point about how we have to be sensitive and tailor some of our messages to the different generations. Really good point. So I'm happy to say that we have a statewide suicide prevention task force and the neighbor islands, to be honest, feel like in some ways they're farther along because they're so in touch with their people. They are so on the ground and um, know their neighbors, know their worship communities, know their people, that they um, really address this well. Um, I'm so proud of knowing some of the neighbor island task force folks. And um, they do really look at particularly youth suicide and youth resources. So um, that being said, on the statewide level, we have done a lot with the school. So the school partnership is very important so that teachers can get trained. So for example, there, have been, there has been funding, thanks to the legislature, of knowing this is important, that school, that teachers and counselors have access to this Suicide 101 or even more tailored um, specific training. So people have to, again, be armed with that education and that knowledge and the confidence confidence to be able to address it. So youth suicide is very different. That's going to look differently than, for example, elderly, people that are elderly and very isolated. Although all this kind of changes now with COVID-19, right? Now we have this right. layer of isolation and not very much access to things and um, people feeling, feeling very different and out of control. So in a way, everything that was there is just amped up. So what we know about suicide, you know, what we knew about suicide in March is going to be very different in one year. We don't really know, I don't think, the, um, the outcome of what does a sustained period of time of living like this, if somebody has some problems, the trauma associated with that. So um, all the trauma that people are living through now um, what will the effects be like in six months, in one year? I'm, I worry about that. I worry about um, people kind of in that survival mode or right under it, kind of just barely hanging on. So what's the answer? I mean, I, 
I'm constantly trying to tell people, check in. Have you checked in with somebody that maybe you haven't heard from? Have you, con have you called or written a little note? Or, um, and there's many professionals, by the way, that are teleworking. They're busier than ever because people um, are trying to access services. The, the real severe people with, with, with severe mental illness, funny enough, it, like, that I see all the time, they're kind of, I don't want to say they're, they're fine, they're great, but they've been used to real severe chaos, you know, dips of homelessness, drug abuse, um, sexual assaults, um, just, I mean, life of chaos beyond words. And so now COVID-19, a layer of that, eh, it's kind of another crisis. And they're, they're kind of cruising. I thought there'd be many more substance abuse relapses and um, people getting psychotic and you know a lot more chaos. I think they're doing pretty well. They've been pretty resilient. But the yeah. other group of people, yeah. you know, even professionals, I think are having a very hard time. You know, this is sort of a, if there's been a theme that's been moving through this, is just how are people dealing with this who weren't formally getting any sort of mental health counseling? Yes. Of what of whatever of whatever type. And for those who are in those different generations and, and who have already had experiences or may not have had experience with mental health yet, this is looking very, very different now. Plus the fact that, you know, maybe the only kind of research we have of people who have been isolated has been perhaps what's been going on with with NASA and looking at, well, what it would be like if people had to be enclosed as they're traveling to Mars or, you know, working within a habitat for a long time. And that's a very different situation because it's artificially imposed. Uh, right. So is this, but this was where we're dealing with a very real situation of, of having a virus that's highly transmissible uh, and that can kill people with certain predispositions right. or uh, comorbidities. As you have been talking, though, I've been thinking that, you know, it, all the wonderful training that may be there for teachers um, is still there, obviously, but now they're not necessarily face-to-face -face with their students as much. They're not running into them in the hall or maybe seeing something that may be happening outside on the school grounds or, you know, hearing something as they're coming around a corner. It's very, very different, and this has also been an issue with kids and food insecurity, so many issues of you know, domestic violence, all of that, because we don't have those same eyes on those kids. Right. So what are you advising those people who you have been talking to within the suicide prevention circle about kids and about, well, their parents too, as we're not seeing these folks as frequently as had been done previously, and certainly not having eyeballs on kids uh, in the way that they, they would normally do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even with many of us teleworking, I'm, I'm still going into, you know, we still have many of us that are essential working, essentially working and seeing people, for example, in kind of a crisis versus just everyday sort of case management like work. Um, we're still talking to people on the phone and we're still doing all that teleworking and zooming just like teachers are, you know, doing this classroom like this, right? So there's still a lot that you can gain from your conversations. So for example, we're looking at each other's appearance. So, um, I, 
I think that this is kind of what I look like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, now when I'm teleworking, I'm getting pretty comfortable with people, so I might not have my lipstick on, I might not, you know, maybe I don't have as many curls, but um, people can kind of get an idea of what I look like and sound like and my mood. So if that starts changing, then that could be a red flag for the teacher, the mental health professional. Um, you might, in my conversations, I might reflect some information about how I'm sleeping, how I'm eating, how I'm getting along with other people. Those are all really, really important cues for me to gather my information about potential, um, you know, ideas of, of how my mood is. Am I getting depressed? Am I, if I'm not getting along with others, that's a, you know, although of course, if I'm all alone here and I'm just with my computer zooming all the time, um, how do I tell if I'm getting along with others? But still, maybe it's through Zoom or have I not gotten a hold of anybody? Maybe I really am isolating and not even having conversations with people. Paying attention to my thought pattern um, is really important for the other person. Are my thoughts kind of, you know, going, are they kind of going, um, making sense and going forward or are they starting to get a little, you know, we've all thought to ourselves if somebody's, we're hearing somebody kind of get a little out of touch with what's happening, right? That's kind of out of touch with reality. That can be a real red flag. Um, and by the way, some of these conditions, like you said, food insecurity, if somebody hasn't eaten and sleep and slept and hasn't had a reality check, no wonder that somebody would start getting out of touch with reality. This is really unusual that we would be doing this day after day after day. And then if you add things like maybe a child, a student's um, parent has died, an auntie, we're not grieving in a quote normal way, can't get together like we normally would. So I don't have to tell you these are all, um, and your viewers would know, yeah, this is unusual. So it would be so it's hard to tell them what's a normal way of behaving and then what starts crossing that abnormal way. So the, the cues are um, staying in touch. I gotta stay in touch with this child or student or patient because I have a concern. Which by the way, we better start checking out ourselves too and make sure we're getting enough support because we're having to make these decisions and conclusions, right? I'm hearing a couple of things. First of all, in, in the checking in and the paying attention, you're asking people to really actively listen and actively pay attention. Yeah. Uh, it's not just enough to show up, but to oh. really focus how you are taking in this information and being able to ask appropriate questions. And that takes a great deal of concentration and obviously a great deal of focus too, when you know we ourselves may be dealing with some of these same issues so it's it's not sort of you know like the the trouble leading the trouble but it could have elements of that because we're all dealing with the situation and we may or may not know how well we're coping with it unless we're willing to be really honest or have somebody else ask us the question of how are you really doing Right. Uh, you know, and, and be willing to ask that question back towards someone else. So I, I'm curious in, in, with all of this, too, as we're, we're talking about how we interact with each other. Um, do you have some statistical information that might really ground us in, in understanding this from the, the suicide um, 
view of all of this. I mean, through that lens that we've seen in, in the more recent days that might make it even more important for us to pay attention, to give it that extended focus and sure. to be willing to ask those questions. Sure. And Beth Ann, as you were summarizing what we are really doing every day, I was thinking, and aren't you tired? I mean, aren't, aren't we exhausted? <laughs> That's why, right? Yeah. <laughs> because we're doing all that. I'll raise my hand, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. But that would make sense. So basically, so, and of course, statistics are tricky because it depends who's your source and which I, I tend to, um, well, the Department of Health, of course, has the injury prevention branch, um, which is um, where suicide prevention um, is kind of situated. Uh, and then um, AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And we have a local chapter here in Hawaii. Um, so those are, those are a couple of sources I really like. But, but in Hawaii, we average 190 deaths by suicide per year. So we really are talking about, you know, every two days somebody dies by suicide. There's another number that we should really be paying attention, that we do pay attention to, but it should be everybody kind of aware. There's 910 suicide attempts in a year. So that's great that they survive, but that's a whole nother, uh, you know, they tried to kill themselves. And often in a busy, busy system when, um, you know, a payment-driven system and a uh, medical-driven system. I mean, we, we can lose just exactly what that means, um, but 910 attempts. So um, another, so that's local. Um, in, so United States, this is 2019, it takes a while to gather all these, um, so we're always usually a year or two kind of behind, but um, so now on an average, 129 Americans die by su suicide each day. Um, and then that would be 1.4 million attempted. 90% um, of those who died by suicide had a diagnosable mental health condition at time of their death. Um, this one is kind of interesting about, we don't usually when we're talking about um, special kind of public relations sorts of things, this is a good thing to know. We, we don't usually talk about the methodology and that's just mainly because it can really trigger people, but that's really important stuff to know at, in some kind of forums. Um, but firearms are accounted for more than half of all suicide deaths. And you know, an example would be something to, this is probably just a whole nother workshop or something, but um, like I got a call recently from, um, there's also, let me go off on this tangent for a minute. There's kind of an underground group of, of survivors and supporters of um, families and community members because, um, well, just because sometimes there's not enough support out there, so people don't know who to turn to. So you kind of learn through relationships who you can call. Um, so anyways, I got this call um, from somebody that said, you know, I'm involved with a family where... Um, the person was suicidal and had a gun. And um, unfortunately it resulted with the person um, being shot um, himself and um, because there was intervention by the police. And so that's not that uncommon. And that's why these statistics are really kind of off because there's also a category called undetermined death. So that could be a drug overdose. 
that could be an accident, that could be something like this where um, there, there had to be some intervention. And um, so rather than kind of a crisis intervention, maybe where the police had a social worker, which is a great idea, hopefully we'll get there someday, um, you know, it kind of went bad. And so their death was like that. Um, so those are a couple um, numbers. 69 billion, by the way, is the combined medical and work loss costs. So it's, that's why it's also a community issue because this is, this is about um, how our communities run. Um, Those are all mental health issues. And that's yeah. part of what we've been trying to move toward in having people understand that mental health and physical health need parity. And they haven't really had that although I think we've probably made more strides recently just because it's been so highlighted in a world with COVID. So, yes. you know, now as we look at going forward, many people will continue to be working at home if they're mm -hmm. still working. Certainly being at home if they have one. We know there's a moratorium on any sort of... Uh, uh, pushing out of anybody, you know, in any sort of way that they're not in, in, in any sort of danger of losing their home or their place, at least for the foreseeable very near future. Uh, food insecurity, that's going to continue for a lot of people. Uh, we've got all kinds of things that are happening that because we've done this now for such a long time may enhance the chances of someone perhaps thinking, that they don't want to be here, particularly if they're a male. We know that it, with, with men, this is a, a particular issue, particularly men as they get you know, a little older uh, into the midpoint of their lives and beyond, that it becomes something that we see much more so than we do of women in a similar age. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell anyone thinking about suicide uh, what would you ask them to do particularly if they're in those areas now and they're home in a COVID world mm -hmm. uh, maybe lost a job uh, or even if they're still working and, and coping and thinking is this all there is is this mm -hmm. all it's going to be despite all the other talk about opening up and October 15th when we're going to be opening uh, you know many more of our well, many much much more of our state to travelers if they have you know the pre-travel protocol etc but that's going to take a long time for that to pop up as we've heard from you hero and others uh, I'm, I'm more concerned about how people may be reacting in the very near term if they don't really think that somehow they're going to be able to rise up and get not only back to where they were but they're going to still see all that loss behind them loss of income loss of time together loss 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 and not really having the opportunity to, to truly grieve that. There's just so much loss and grief wrapped up in COVID. What I would say if I'm speaking to somebody, and I'm sure we are speaking to people now that have thoughts of ending it, um, I would say that you have to, it's important to have hope. And when one loses hope, which is probably what somebody has lost right now, um, then we, we really lose it all, right? We lose everything. So hope is so core. And sometimes we get a little bit of hope from really small things that kind of help us get through the day. 
can get hope by walking outside and you know seeing that the the we didn't want to get up the sun did come up and hope um we get hope by kind of walking down the street and seeing some little children um that are actually playing and um there's little giggles and we get hope by um seeing that there are um things growing even though things feel dead around us things are still growing and hope that this is actually going to um all this kind of stuff around us all the bad news the news is every time you turn on the news ugh, which is why I shouldn't turn it on so much um will get better and so um the strength that we are building by surviving this is going to really pay off um we are going to be better and stronger and um more empathetic and knowledgeable about kind of the human spirit and so if people can kind of find that hope if it's not coming you know after a little while it is important to reach out and get some help that's really hard to do that takes such great strength because some people think oh weak people go get help no 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 it's the opposite really strong people make that call and make the call to either our um Hawaii cares line uh or the national suicide prevention line or a friend that would come over and be with you um they won't mind believe me cuz they'll mind when you're gone so they could just be with you don't even have to talk but it's important to be with somebody right now when you're that in despair that's that last part Kathleen though we know right now isn't possible because we're all in our own little bubbles and asking you know a good friend to call come over is more like make the call or get on zoom or do something so that you make a connection that's what i hear you say that and we know yes. that from longevity studies that the people who have lo- the longest and most fulfilled lives are those who maintain connections within their communities within their families within their friendship circle that those are the relationships that make people feel Exactly. intact. I mean it's one yeah. of the reasons why uh people are not being evicted because they need to feel that connection to home right. and place and the people around them. All of that that's very important. And and plus we don't want to have people just you know wandering around on the street having no place to go. That's a whole other issue. Right. Um but seeing all of these ways in which to connect mm-hmm. really takes a great deal of self-awareness. Mhm. And as you have been talking I wonder too how many people are willing to be that honest with themselves you know there's a, a a survey that people can take actually there's a whole slew of surveys that people can take on the mental health america website mm-hmm. that allows you to see really are you truly dealing with anxiety or depression or um post traumatic stress disorder of a bunch of things i mean there's a, a really big list Sure. and many surveys that that a person can take but you've got to be really honest with yourself yeah. about it when you're taking that and uh from what you have been seeing are people willing to be that honest now has covid sort of worn us down to where when we look in the mirror we really do see something other than the the illusion that we perpetuated for ourselves mm I suppose there's different segments of people, right? There's some people that are using this time to really get 
um, as you say, you know, anxiety to clarity, using it as an opportunity to do some self-awareness, get healthy, get better, get really inside and do some good work on themselves. There's another segment of people that they're too tired and too um, survival mode to even think about going online and doing much at all, much less a survey. Um, and let's not forget people that, you know, to read and write is just, I mean, that's not where they're at. That's not what they do. Or they may not even have connectivity. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's more the group that I, you know, see every day. Um, and then there's another group that I think we're talking about today that, you know, probably despair. Um, yeah. Writing and writing, sharing that. Um, it's more like keeping a secret that you're that bad off, you know? So I think that's what we're asking is for people to go ahead and share, which, um, you know, it, it does take great strength to share. Suicide, when it happens within your circle, as you know well, and, and I do too, that it's soul crushing on so many levels and for such great lengths of time. As you mm -hmm. said earlier in our conversation about your brother, it could have been yesterday yeah. because you're still carrying that with you. Most people who are contemplating suicide, though, aren't thinking about how this is going to uh, feel to everybody else left mm -hmm. behind. They're only worried about ending the pain. Mm -hmm. um, it's a terrible burden, though, when you say to someone, you know, you're being selfish and, you know, haven't you thought about how this is going to resonate with other, I've actually heard people having conversations like this. And the person who's really hurting is going like, I don't care. Yeah. I just want the pain to stop. Is right. there a way of broaching that subject of being able to have that kind of a conversation with someone that might be more gentle, that might be more appropriate when you're talking to someone and, and they have either expressed that they're suicidal or you think that they might be, and you're willing to ask the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? Mm -hmm. And they give you some kind of answer that lets you know that it's in the affirmative to let them know what that would mean for everybody left behind. Mm -hmm. Is that even appropriate? So talking about the people left behind is not appropriate. Um, let me, I'm going to refer to my little, I love this. It's, it's a, I'm not going to call it suicide prevention 101. It's, it's a something out of AFSP that I mentioned before. It's called Talk Saves Lives. It's a really nice little like one hour um, workshop, but they have a little brochure that I love. And there's little brochures also from SAMHSA um, that people can get. Um, SAMHSA's Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, which is like um, learning suicide, learn the warning signs. And one is a um, assessing suicide risk, initial tips for counselors. I love all that. I have tons of stuff that I always am sharing with staff and friends and because there's no reason that literature's out there. We should be getting this for people. But anyways, they talk about um, avoid debating the value of life. So when somebody starts talking to you about, you know, what their kind of sad story is, you don't want to get into, you know, oh, but you've got a great life. I mean, look, you have a husband, you have a nice house, you have um, this and this and that. That is not helpful because that's not where they're at. Their head's not there. So you don't want to debate with the person. Um, avoid advice to fix it. So it sometimes is tempting to just say, oh, but, you know, and I'm a fixer, you know, just to, well, I'll take care of this and this and this. That's not really helpful. And avoid minimizing the person's feelings. 
So if you're supposed to avoid all this, then what are you to do, right? Well, well pretend you're talking to me and I've just told you that, yes, I am thinking about killing myself. What would you, how would a conversation like that go if we can model that just a little bit so anybody watching might see what you mean? Okay. Okay. So, um, Beth Ann, it sounds like you are um, really in a difficult spot right now. It's been tough for a long time here. We're dealing with COVID and now all of this too. And so if we were talking a little bit longer and you had shared a lot of things that that were really bad and, and that you were going through, I would go ahead and ask the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? So Beth Ann, are you thinking about killing yourself? It's crossed my mind. So Beth Ann, uh, what, what are some things that we could uh, do to um, help keep you safe at this time? What if I said, I don't know, and obviously we're making all of this up. Um, I'm not suicidal, so I wouldn't know how to necessarily answer that. But so, how, how would you expect that, you know, if somebody said to you, um, I wish I weren't so alone, or um, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future. I can't handle my children. Uh, I'm in a difficult situation with my spouse. Uh, any of those things that we know are already happening, Right. How would, how would you advise someone to talk to them about? Because I, it's really easy for us to say, stay connected, uh, check in, all these things. But sometimes those words just don't form very well in people's mouths. And if we can give them some ways of being able to talk sure. about sure. it with someone, maybe we can save a life. Yeah, to be honest, I would just listen to you. I really would let you, and, and we wouldn't do it in you know like the next two minutes. I would just let you go on about that. So it does take some time to let you go on about that because you, if you're right. But can I, can I stop for one second? When you yeah. say that about going on, letting someone go on, I also hear you saying, don't necessarily feel you have to interrupt and make point by point or exactly. counterpoints to what they're saying. Right. You want to let them get it out of their system yes. and talk yes. as much as they want to talk about it. And yeah. then if there is a lull in the conversation, to really just express the fact that I'm here for you, I care for you, but not try to, as you talked a moment ago, be a fixer, because there are lots of us who like to be fixers. Yes, 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 to let you go. If, if I then do ask the question about, are you thinking of killing yourself, then I want to make sure that if that's a yes, that I wanna make sure that you don't have a plan. I mean, if you, if you have a plan to do something, then I want to try to get, um, I, I want to make sure you're not in danger right now, right? And I want to make sure that you're not alone. If you're alone, um, then I want to see, can somebody get to you? And if you're in isolation or if you're on, um, you know, house restriction, I still need to see that you're um, safe, even if it is COVID-19. So that's another question to be asking and be willing to risk asking. The first one being, are you thinking of killing yourself? Mm -hmm. And if the person talks a little bit longer and then you're willing to risk it even further to say, do you have a plan? Mm -hmm. If you get an affirmative answer to both of those things, 
then the next step would be to be able to make sure that they connect somehow, some way, even if you're necessarily the one who makes the call to the suicide line at, or, or the CARES line and say, I know someone who is in trouble right now. Do you go that far? And you may, in times when you really believe somebody is that at risk, you may have to call 911. I mean, you may need to call the, the police. You know, people may have to be intervened with like that way. I mean, that's, I know that sounds, but that constitutes an emergency. That is, if somebody is in their home and, or, or wherever they are, and they have a plan and they are saying that they want to kill themselves, we have to make that difficult call and have emergency workers get to them because that's it, saving a life. Right. And, and especially if you're talking now about, well, well, especially about anybody, but with a young person, somebody who may be in their, their 20s or their teens or maybe even younger uh, and having, if you're a, a counselor or if you're a teacher and you begin to notice this and you have to bring in the parent to do that conversation, I can imagine that would be also a difficult conversation to have with a lot of parents who somehow, you know, discount the idea that their child could be at risk. And yet we know, obviously, from the statistics that we've seen with kids that they are very much at risk. What do you advise those folks who may have to talk to parents about that to say, are they as forthright in the conversation as they might be in the conversation example that you gave a moment ago about asking some very, very direct questions. Well, you know, it, it, we coordinate with different partners, right? And every organization kind of has their protocol. So it's, you know, if you're, if you're a mom and you are coordinating then with the teacher, then the teacher has kind of some protocol through where they work. And so you want to give as much information as possible because the teacher is going to have the counselor and the, um, their department, you know, DOE protocol. If you are a um, family member and you're dealing with um, somebody that's already in therapy, the therapist has certain ethics and protocol to work through. So it kind of depends what your role is with whom. And um, that's why I kind of mentioned 911. Don't forget 911 because right. you don't want to be, you don't want to try to take on that counselor, professional therapist, doctor role yourself. I mean, if you're in this conversation and it feels like it's kind of getting out of control and you are um, suddenly somebody's talking about suicide and they have the means and you've, they're just, they've described, you know, all these symptoms that um, are going on, then you've got to get help um, to save their life. Um, these other kinds of warning signs and things that we've kind of gone over, um, that's, that's, Anybody that sees those can can kind of do some sort of asking. And so there is kind of a point where you want to say, okay, I've gone this far and now I have to kind of step out, right? I've got to get either a mental health professional or the police emergency workers involved. And then you're, you're talking about a school. Yeah, the school um, has kind of their whole way of dealing with this. But So what I would say is in general, just say as much as you can to people um, and also err on the side of if it's a life or death situation you know confidentiality if you're a friend or a family member don't worry about that you know 
um, some of us have to worry about that who we're talking to but again life and death say what please give the information as much information as you can because that helps bottom line if you're having a conversation with someone and you hear that they have the means they have the opportunity and they have the desire then get busy and try to connect them with someone else who can take it from there and don't yes. feel like you yourself have to solve it no matter exactly. you know, what role you're playing in that whether you're a parent a teacher exactly. a friend thank whomever, you yes. clergy member that you've got to be able to will to be willing to risk it because yep. it could be a life or death situation. Yeah, yep. you can. Yeah. Anything else that you think that we should know now at this juncture, as we're in, you know, going into fall, and we have holiday season coming up, which brings yes. up a lot of issues for a lot of people, uh, not always happy ones, as we know. Mm. Uh, any advice as, as we're heading into that, also with the layer of COVID. Mm. Holidays are hard, anniversaries are hard, you know, all those kinds of things are hard. One of the things um, I should share is AFSP.org, the Hawaii chapter, we um, do things like other organizations like um, National Alliance on Mental Illness and Mental Health America, you know, two of my favorite organizations. Um, we do some, there's a lot of stuff online that's available and we're doing our virtual walk and then we're doing, um, that's, um, October 24th in November one of my favorite events if you have lost somebody to suicide is our survivor group gets together and there's nothing I haven't seen anything more healing than that so it helps us get through the holidays where we get together and we kind of celebrate the lives of people that we've lost and, and we, this year it'll probably be what on zoom because of, of where yeah, we are virtual yeah. of course again but um, it's always the Saturday before Thanksgiving so it kind of helps you I find it helps me get through Thanksgiving and it helps me get through Christmas. But um, so keep, keep looking for that on AFSP.org Hawaii. So it's stick together. It's really helpful to, um, to kind of get some support uh, with this. Yeah. And I really can't thank you enough for focusing on this. Yeah. Well, Kathleen, Miriam, thank you so much for spending the time with me and giving us so much good information. It's, it's such an important issue that gets short shrift in so many ways, and yet it's, yeah. it's life or death, and it's a way in which we can make a difference. Thank you so much. I Bye. really have appreciated everything that you've shared with us. Thank you. And for those of you who joined us for this conversation, if you have an idea for another conversation, please let me know. My email is Kozlov B, that's K-O-Z-L-O-V, B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. And we'll be very happy to hear what you have to say. And if you have a question, we'll get you an answer. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich for Sutter Health Kahimohala. Thanks so much for joining us for From Anxiety to Clarity. We'll see you next time. Aloha.